This is Precepts Audio Message P.A. 474. Nathan C. Johnson, Bible Teacher. For all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in truth. Okay, the book of Psalms. And we were, last time, we were considering Psalm 37. Another psalm of David, the great shepherd king of Israel. We saw that this was another acrostic psalm. And generally here we have two verses of two lines apiece. And the each verse starts with, each two-verse couplet starts with the a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet through 40 verses. Now, of course, there are 22 letters, so that doesn't quite work out. While there are, um, instead of two verses having four lines, there are three times when a letter of the alphabet has only one verse that has three lines. And that is the fourth letter in verse 7, the 11th letter in verse 20, and the 19th letter in verse 34. And those have triplets instead of four lines. But we saw that this is an exhortation to patience and well-doing in spite of the temporary prosperity of the lawless. And deals with the problem of the current prosperity of the lawless. And Rotherham points out that it presents time as the solution. That is, that the time of their prosperity is short. And ultimately, in the kingdom of God, the prosperity of the lawless will end. So we saw it started out introducing that topic. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. But he says to you, you should trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. We talked about that that doesn't mean that we get everything we want, but rather that the Lord gives us the things that we desire. So we should commit our ways on to the Lord, trust in him. Verse 6, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. So again we see it is the kingdom that is the answer. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, and fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Because the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So the evildoers will be cut off from the earth, and those that wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. So again, the blessing of the righteous is in the earth, not in heaven. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. As we see all through the Bible, it is death that is the punishment, not eternal conscious torment in some place of suffering. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So the submissive, or the patient oppressed ones, will have their portion in the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace that will exist on earth at that time. So that's as far as we got the last time. Verse 12. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. So this is Zain, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the seventh letter. And so we return to this point from the glorious reality of the future, kingdom of God, to the grim reality of the present. And here, the wicked plotteth against the just. The plots of the wicked are indeed a constant burden to the righteous. So the wicked plots against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. And this gnashing would be in hatred and malignity. Verse 13, The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. So he plots against the just, gnashes at him in hatred, but the Lord just laughs at the wicked. 
Now you'll notice in your versions it probably has capital O, capital L, small O-R-D, referring to that this is Adonai, not Jehovah, but this should be capital o, L, capital O, capital R, capital E, because this was Jehovah. But this is another case where this was an emendation of the Sophereme. And they apparently thought it was not respectful, respectful to speak of Jehovah laughing. So they changed it to Adonai, again, raising their pens against the word of God. But Jehovah shall laugh at them. It means to mock at them, to make fun of them. For he sees that his day is coming. So Jehovah is not bothered by the plots and the hatred of the wicked because he knows what is going to happen to them. And he considers that the day of the wicked will come to an end. So we should follow his example and not allow ourselves to get all worked up and fret over the wicked. Take the long view and realize that the righteous will live throughout the kingdom of God, but these wicked will come to an end. And so they're all their power will come to nothing. Then verse 14, The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. So here we have the eighth Hebrew letter, het or chet, depending on given two different pronunciations. But it is the wicked have drawn out the sword. And have bent their bow. Well, of course, there are literal sores and bows, but often, used of the wicked, this is not literal, but it refers to their words. The slander they speak, the plots they make, and so forth. And in Psalm 64, we have this, where it speaks of the wicked, verses 2 through 4. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword. And bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. So oftentimes the sword of the wicked is their tongues, and their arrows are their wicked words that they cast against the righteous. So they have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy. And the poor there is the helpless. And how often do the wicked, with their words, attack those who are helpless against their slander and against their calumny and tear them down with their wicked words? And to slay such as be of upright conversation. It seems they cannot stand to see people who act uprightly. Now conversation here means those who are upright in the way. And remember, in Old English, your conversation didn't just mean talk. It meant your manner of life. Your whole manner of life and conduct was your conversation. So the wicked want to slay those who have upright conversation. They can't abide them. It's not enough for them just to be wicked themselves, but they can't put up with those who refuse to be wicked along with them. And they try to destroy them. Verse 15, Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. So their sword enters their own heart. Their weapons wound themselves. And again, that's what happens in Psalm 64. And verses 7 through 8, where it says, But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Of course, his own word. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue, their sword. They shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. Or better, all that see them shall shake their heads. They'll be astonished. They'll shake their heads in astonishment to see these wicked people suddenly using their, sword, their tongues, their swords against themselves instead of against the righteous. So their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. And that means broken in pieces. And thus the weapons of slander and calumny that they used will be useless to harm the righteous ever again. They will be shattered, broken in pieces. And verse 16, the ninth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, or Tet, says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. 
So many who are righteous are dissatisfied. They wish they had more. But if we would factor righteousness and its outcome into the account, we can realize that we are in a far better position than even the wealthiest of wicked men. So the little that a righteous man has is better with his righteousness than the riches of many wicked. Much better off being the righteous and having the little because you have your righteousness, you have your relationship with God, and that will carry on to the kingdom. Verse 17, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. And of course the arm symbolizes the strength. The strength of the wicked shall be broken. Again, shattered in pieces. All the power they seem to have through their wealth today, well, where will that power be when the kingdom comes? But the Lord upholds the righteous. And again, that reminds us of Psalm 64 and verse 10. Where it says, The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him, and all the upright in heart shall glory. So the Lord will uphold the righteous and they will trust in him. Then verse 18 is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, or Yod. It says, The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. So the Lord Jehovah starts this off here with Yod. Jehovah knoweth the days of the upright. And knows there, according to the Companion Bible, means he regards with affection and favor the days of the upright. Now what are the days of the upright? What days are those? Well, I believe those are the days that will be coming in his kingdom. Those are the days of the upright. Now are the days of the crooked and the bent. And the kingdom will be the days of the upright. And the Lord knows those days. And their inheritance shall be forever. And this is the word olam, which can mean continuous or in perpetuity, ever flowing. But I think in this case it refers to the kingdom of God. Their portion shall be the olam, the outflow of the kingdom of God. That will be their portion. Whereas the wicked, what they have right now is all they get. They have no portion in that kingdom. Verse 19, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. So the upright will not be ashamed in the evil time. And evil there is again ra'ah, the calamitous time, in the time of calamity. And why will they not be ashamed in the time of calamity? Well, because Jehovah will be watching out for them. And I wonder, could this be a reference to the tribulation period? Because following the days of the upright, the kingdom of God will come the evil time, which is the tribulation period. And yet the right, the upright, who enjoy the days of the upright, they won't be ashamed when the evil time comes that follows it. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Because Yahweh has promised to watch out for his people. Remember, they are to flee to the mountains, and there he will feed them as he did in the wilderness of old. He'll give them manna from heaven, and he'll, he will care for them. So the Lord knows the days of the upright, and in the evil time that follows, he will care for the upright regardless. Then verse 20, we have the 11th verse of the Hebrew alphabet. Again, there are 22. So this is sort of the middle verse, or ending the first half. And this is one of those three that only has three lines instead of four. This is the Hebrew letter Kaf, starting this line. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. So the wicked shall perish. Now, of course, that's true of individuals, but again, I don't think this is just in, talking about individuals, but it's talking about the wicked as a class. In this world, yes, the wicked perish, but there's always a new crop to take their place. When the kingdom comes, the wicked shall perish altogether. They will come to an end. 
And then it says, The enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. And that's true. And Young's literal translation agrees with the King James. New, New King James, however, has like the splendor of the meadows. Instead of as the fat of rams. Well, of course, you realize meadows, they have great splendor at a certain time of year when all the flowers bloom. Well, that doesn't last, and quickly it disappears. Now, the Amplified Bible has both ideas, the fat of lambs and the splendor of meadows. Rotherham makes it that the wicked shall perish, and while in high esteem, while exalted, have they vanished. So whatever, however you translate it, the point is that they vanish away. And then it says, they shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. Well, into smoke seems to fit better with the burned sacrifice than with flowers and meadows. Of course, flowers do disappear, but they don't disappear into smoke. So perhaps the fat of lambs is the better translation. But the point is that the wicked are going to disappear. They're just like smoke. It's there for a few seconds and then it dissipates and is gone. That's how it's going to be with the wicked. They will disappear into smoke and that will be the end of them. So as is often happens in the Bible, the destruction of the wicked is compared to fire. They're burned up, they're gone, they're consumed. So if in the Bible the end of the wicked is never eternal conscious suffering in fire, it is being consumed, it's burning up. It's disappearing into smoke. And it's all about destruction, the end of the wicked. Verse 21. And this is, again, the twelfth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Lamed. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. So the wicked borrows and doesn't repay. And this, in Matthew 5 and verse 42, again in the Lord's teaching of his disciples on the mount, he says, this is quite a contrast. He says, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. So, he says, You give to those who ask, but the wicked borrow, and they don't repay. Well, in God's government, the wicked will not be allowed to do this. And so under God's government, when someone asks to borrow, you can give it to them freely, and knowing that they will return, because they will not be allowed to borrow and not repay. Payeth not again, there is completeth not. In other words, he doesn't complete his promise to return. He borrows and doesn't complete it by giving it back. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. And again, that's what God demands in the kingdom, is that you give. Showeth mercy there is dealeth graciously. Hanan, again, word for grace. The righteous is gracious and, and gives. He borrows. He lends. I should say. Verse 22. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. So those who are blessed by him, that again is the Hebrew Barach, blessed or spoken well of, such as he approves of, they shall inherit the earth. And again, it's Eretz. It could be inherit the land or the earth. That depends on if we want to focus on Israel, who will inherit the land, or have a broader focus and do all consider all those who are blessed of him, which would include all those who have a part on earth in the kingdom. Well, I believe that the focus is indeed broader and takes in all. Notice that this is the Bible's promise of the future place of God's people. Is that it will be the earth. Again, not heaven. So such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. And it seems some who want to leave this world as soon as possible want to be cursed. They don't quite realize it, of course. But those who are cursed are the ones who are going to be cut off from the earth, not those who are blessed. So if, if being cut off from the earth is to be cursed, how many can so many claim they want to leave this earth for heaven? 
Well, this is not the blessing promised in Scripture. The true promise of God is having a place in the earth, not being cut off from it. Then verse 23, the 13th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Mem. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. But the steps of a good man, well, there's no word for good. In Hebrew, it's the steps of a mighty man. Seller suggests, from Jehovah are a man's steps ordered by the Lord. So it's not just good men, but from Jehovah are a man's steps ordered by the Lord. And the kingdom will be a benevolent dictatorship. You know, people talk about that in our world, a benevolent dictatorship. Well, somehow, dictators almost never turn out to be benevolent. And even one who starts out benevolent usually ends up not being so good because power corrupts him. But the kingdom is a benevolent dictatorship for the good of man. And in the kingdom, the steps of all will be ordered by Jehovah, not just of the good man, but of all men. From Jehovah, well, a man's steps will be ordered from the Lord in the kingdom. And he delighteth in his way. And how good it will be when Yahweh is pleased with the way of all men on earth. Right now, certainly he can't be pleased at all with the way of most men. Verse 24, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So in that day, no fall will result in ruin. When he falls, he will not be utterly cast down, he will not be ruined. Why? Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. The Lord will uphold everyone. And I've said before, as long as we have physical bodies, accidents are possible. The thing is, the Lord isn't going to allow an accident to bring calamity to any person. He will uphold all with his hand. And why would he need healers in the kingdom when we're set free from the law of sin and death? Well, because of accidents and injuries. But the Lord will be there to heal and even to restore life if need be. He will not allow one who falls to be ruined, to be utterly cast down. Well, today, if something injures you or kills you, Nobody can come along and say, oh, that wasn't fair, I'm going to reverse that. But in the kingdom, the Lord will. He will not allow one who falls to be ruined. Verse 25. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. So this is the 14th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Noon. And he says, I have been young and now I'm old. Well, that's true of the old, isn't it? I mean, the young are young and never have been old. <laughs> but the old, though they're old, have been young in the past. So David is apparently writing this in his elder years. And he's saying, I have been young and now I'm old. Well, that was, and yet he had not seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. This was true in David's day. Because God's blessing was upon the upright in Israel. However, I'd have to say that this is not always true today, for God does not promise material blessings as a reward for righteousness today. Because any such promise would be judgment, not righteousness. And the character of grace makes the promises not effectual today. Well, this will certainly be true in the, to the full in the day of the kingdom is that no righteous person will lack in that day. But David now refers to the fact that while the wicked may prosper and the righteous may have little, he has at least never seen the righteous with nothing or their children as beggars. But I would have to ask, are there no believers in impoverished countries today? Is it impossible for a believer in Jesus Christ to starve? Well, no, I'm afraid it's not impossible. It's happened. And so we have to realize this is not truth for the dispensation of grace. But in the kingdom to come, and even in Israel in the past, where God was promised blessings for righteousness, this was the case. Certainly will be the case 100% in the kingdom. Then verse 26, He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. So the righteous one is ever merciful, and ever is days. 
or all the day long he is Hanan, gracious, not merciful. All the day long he is gracious and lends. And his seed is blessed. Hebrew there is Baraka. Could mean a blessing. His seed is a blessing. He is gracious and his offspring is a blessing. Well then we have 15th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, verse 27. Samek. It says, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Well, while verses 25 and 26 are a dispensational statement, this is not. But this is God's expectation at all times, is that all people depart from calamity-causing works and do good. Yet we realize that the best good work we can do today is to believe on the one whom he has sent. As the Lord said, when asked in John chapter 6, what must we do to work the works of God? The Lord answered, in John chapter 6 and verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And so the best work, good work we can do today is to believe on the one whom he has sent. And that is true. But this is true for all time, that God expects men to depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. And Peter confirms this in his own experience in Acts chapter 10 and verses 34 and 35 when Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So this has always been true. But for us, our work of righteousness is to believe in Christ. So depart from evil and do good, and you'll dwell forevermore. But that should be for the olam, in perpetuity, or for the outflow. In other words, for the kingdom. Those who depart from evil and do good will dwell throughout his kingdom. Verse 28, For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. So the Lord loves judgment. Now notice, it doesn't say the Lord loves punishment. See, ah, I love punishing people. No, no, that's not what he's saying. He loves judgment. Judgment is determining what's right and setting things right. God loves to set things right. He doesn't like the messed up way the world is right now. He wants to set things right. And he forsaketh not his saints, his set-apart ones. He doesn't forsake us. He wants to set things right for us. Then we have, they are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. And here the verse divisions have not exactly followed the acrostic, because in this third line of verse 28, we actually start the next letter, which is the 16th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Ayin. So that is, they are preserved forever. And... It's actually Olam, which while it doesn't look like it starts with an A-E-N, it does. And you often we will spell this apostrophe O-L-A-M. And the apostrophe represents the fact that A-E-N is really an untranslatable letter. Uh, both the Hebrew letter Aleph and the Hebrew letter A-E-N really have no equivalent in English. So you really can't translate them. So sometimes we'll just put an apostrophe to show that there is a letter that we can't really transliterate there because there is no such letter in English. So Olam starts with that letter, or one of those two letters, Ein. Now, in the current Hebrew text, it's actually preceded by a Lamed. Four. Lamed, just the letter L, means four in Hebrew. And this makes Hebrew very interesting that, that the a lot of the conjunctions and the prepositions are just a single letter. Instead of having words like for, and, but, how, over, under, <laughs> with, to, instead of having words like that, you just have a single letter. An L or a V or something like that. And you just throw it at the beginning and it is your conjunction or your 
preposition. And the word for here is just the Hebrew letter L before olam. La olam is for the olam, for ever, as they translate it, which really means for the eon, for the kingdom eon. Well, when you throw that lamad there, it really starts with an, a lamad rather than with an ayin. But Dr. Dr. John Lightfoot, commenting on this, suggests that this letter is cut off just like the seed of the wicked is cut off. So in order to see the ayin here starting this line, you would have to cut off the lamad, just like the Lord is going to cut off the wicked. Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. So you have to search a little bit for the ayin, since it's hidden behind a, a lamad. But it's in a psalm that's talking about cutting off. Very interesting Lightfoot suggestion. Very clever and probably correct. So for the Olam, they are preserved. That is the saints of the Lord. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Now don't mistake this. They're not cut off just because they're unlucky enough to have wicked parents. But this is because they too are wicked. When the Bible talks about the Lord bringing the sins of the fathers upon their children to the third and fourth generation, well, that's because their children too are wicked. And if any one of those generations up to the third and fourth generation would turn from their wickedness of their fathers, of course then they would not be cut off. That the wickedness that came before them would be forgotten then. But this seed is like their fathers, wicked like their fathers, and so cut off. And we have seen this again and again throughout the psalm that the wicked are cut off. And again and again, this is the answer to the prosperity of the wicked and to the poverty of the righteous today. And that is just wait until you see the kingdom. When the righteous have a place, but the wicked have no place. When the righteous have an inheritance, but the wicked are cut off. Verse 29, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. So the righteous shall inherit the land. Well, this is again Eretz, the same as the earth in verses 9, 11, and 22. So notice throughout here how the translators are making decisions as to how they're going to translate Eretz, land or earth. And why do they translate this? The righteous shall inherit the land here, and the meek shall inherit the earth elsewhere. Well, they're just making judgment calls. It could be either one. I would make the scope broader to the earth, as this will be the truth in the kingdom. All on earth will be righteous. The righteous will inherit the earth. And dwell therein forever. Well, forever here is not olam. It's the Hebrew ad, which is a word that means the longest possible duration, or perpetually. The righteous will dwell therein from then on, we might say to the longest possible duration. So that's the truth of the righteous. Again, the, the contrast between the wicked being cut off and the righteous inheriting the land and remaining there to the longest duration from then on. Verse 30. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. So this is the 17th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, or P. Now, of course, if you looked in the Hebrew and were expecting to see what looked like RP, you wouldn't see it, but <laughs> it is the letter P. You know, in Greek, we like to pronounce that it's, it's also P. We like to say pi. You were all aware of the Greek letter pi. Well, really, it's pronounced P. But if you said P, no one would know you weren't talking about the English letter. So we pronounce it pi just to distinguish it. But really, it's P, and it's the same thing in Hebrew. It's P, or maybe pay. But it's, of course, it's the letter P. It says, The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talks of judgment. Now these will be so common on earth in that day of the kingdom that all will talk of them. They'll talk about righteousness. 
they'll talk about judgment. Well, that will be a very different kind of conversation, common conversation than what is common today. We talk about small talk today, where people just talk about nothing in order to pass the time or to have some topic of conversation with someone they don't have a lot in common with. But in the kingdom, they'll be talking of righteousness and judgment. That will be the common conversation. And it won't be small talk, but it will be the common conversation. Then verse 31, The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. And of course, law is Torah in Hebrew. Probably all heard of that, referring to the first five books of the Old Testament as the law or the Torah. But Torah is just the Hebrew word for law. It's not the name of the first five books, other than that their name is the law. But the word Torah means law. The Torah of God, the law of his God, is in his heart. Now if we would compare that with the New Covenant. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 33, what is the New Covenant but just that? As it says in Jeremiah 31 and verse 33, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it into their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. So for the righteous, the law of God is in his heart, and it will be in the hearts of all God's people in the kingdom. And the result will be that none of his steps shall slide. He won't go astray, he won't take a misstep, he won't step somewhere and his step will slide, because God's law is in his heart. Then verse 32, we have the 18th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Sadiq. The wicked watcheth the righteous, and seeketh to slay him. So it says, the wicked watches the righteous, and it literally means he spies out the righteous. And remember, that's exactly what the wicked did to Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. There were those people who wanted to get promoted in Persia, and Daniel had been promoted above them. They were trying to climb the ladder and get to the top position, and Daniel was in it. So they said, how can we get rid of this guy so we can climb higher and take his place? So they came up with this, flattered the king into making this decree, nobody should pray to any god but him. And then in Daniel 6.11, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So what were they doing? But they were spying on the righteous. And why were they doing it? They were doing it seek, they, and seeketh to slay him. They sought to slay him. That's exactly what they wanted of Daniel. Because they went to the king and then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, Regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but make his position three times a day. And in verse 12 they reminded him, Hast not thou signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So, of course, they were seeking to slay the righteous Daniel. They spied on him and sought to Put him to death. But verse 33, The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. So he says, The Lord will not leave, or the Lord will not forsake him in their hand. He will step in. He will not leave the righteous helpless before the wicked forever. And of course we realize that sometimes in this dispensation of grace, the righteous are in the power of the wicked. And that happens many times. Many times believers in Christ have been arrested, have been put in prison, have been helpless before those who would condemn them. But the Lord is not going to leave it that way forever. And in the life to come, they will be delivered. You always think of the reformer that the people hated so much that years after his death, they dug up his body in order to burn it. He's one of the few reformers who actually died a natural death. And they hated him so much they dug up his body in order to burn it. Say, we, we wanted to burn him as a heretic. We're so upset he's not alive anymore for us to do it. We'll burn him after he's dead. Well, sorry, but that, that isn't going to stop the fact that the Lord is going to raise him from the dead. And like him or not, this was a man who loved God's word and sought to get it to the people when 
the church of the day was trying to suppress it from them. And the Lord will deliver him. And their burning of his body didn't change anything. So the Lord will not leave them in the hand of the wicked, nor condemn him when he is judged. And the Lord will not condemn us when we are judged. And this won't happen because of our own goodness. No, if that was the case, of course we are all condemned. The wages of sin is death and we're all sinners. So how can any of us be righteous before God and not be condemned when we're judged? Well, it's because we have righteousness imputed to us through Christ. It's as Paul said in Romans 4, starting in verse 22, speaking of Abraham, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, offenses and was raised again for our justification. So we will not be condemned when we are judged, not because of our own great righteousness or right behavior, but because of Christ and our imputed righteousness. Verse 34, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. So this is the 19th letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Kuf. And that might sound like a K, but it's actually a Q. In fact, there are two Hebrew letters that you could make a K, so this one we sort of make a Q. But of course it's a Q without a U, and a Q without a U just sounds like a K. But this is the Kuf, and it's often transliterated as a Q. That's why we spell Kahal, Q-A-H-A-L, instead of K-A-H-A-L, because it is Kuf that it starts with. Now, that Kuf is the last of the three letters that has only three lines instead of four in its stanza. So this Kuf is touch, starting off a triplet rather than a quatrain. But it says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way. And how easy it is to get discouraged waiting. We would like to see God fix things, and as he doesn't, we get discouraged. But he says, Wait on the Lord. Keep his way. Don't give up following him. Keep his way. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. And again, that's Eretz. Either the earth or the land, depending on if you look at it as Israel, which will inherit the earth, or all, all men and all nations will in, in, inherit the earth, not just the land. He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. So notice again, this is the same word as cutting a covenant. So what's the fate of the wicked? The wicked are cut off. What's the fate of the righteous? They will inherit the earth. So again and again, we see this is the contrast. Be patient for the Lord. Don't get upset about the wicked who spy on the righteous and try to slay him. Don't get upset when sometimes maybe they succeed. No, the wicked are going to be cut off, and the righteous are going to inherit the land. And notice what he says, When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Well, how could David say that? He didn't see it. He died 3,000 years ago. Well, he's going to be raised from the dead. And clearly this is a future event. And an event that we're going to see because we're raised from the dead. So we will be raised from the dead to see the wicked being cut off. If, of course, we don't live until that time comes. So the wicked are going to be cut off and God's people are going to see it. So this is what we have over and over and over in this psalm. We have this contrast. Is that the righteous are going to inherit the earth. The wicked are going to be cut off from the earth. And praise God, through Christ we are among the righteous. Verse 35. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. So he has seen the wicked in great power, and we too have seen this. 
seeing wicked people, and that they temporarily prosper. And this is very common in the dispensation of grace, when God does not render to wickedness its just recompense of reward. And many of the rulers of this world are wicked. In great power there basically means ruthless. I have seen the wicked and ruthless man, in other words, spreading himself like a green bay tree. Now that has nothing to do with Green Bay, Wisconsin, or the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> this is a green or fresh tree in its native soil, is the idea here. Verse 36, Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. These verses, by the way, start with resh, the Hebrew letter for R. Yet he passed away. So the wicked, in spite of his ruthlessness, in spite of his spreading like a fresh tree in its native soil, he eventually passes away, and lo, he is not. Yeah, I sought him, but he could not be found. He was gone. Couldn't find him if you looked for him. So eventually all these wicked die, no matter how powerful they were, no matter how ruthless they were. And what becomes of them then? But the righteous, they have hope even in death. Now notice that when the kingdom comes, this will literally be true. One could search throughout the earth, and not find a single wicked person living in his wickedness in the kingdom of God. So the wicked, the very wicked, not just the wicked individually, but the wicked as a class will pass away. So those two verses are Resh. Now in verse 37 we have Sheen, the Hebrew letter S. It says, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. So the fate of the blameless and the upright is to be contrasted with that of the wicked man. Both are going to die. Both die. So is there no difference? Well, what comes after death? That's the question. So he says, mark the perfect man. Perfect there means complete or mature. Of course, it is in the Lord that one is mature. So, he says, Mark the mature man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man, and that is the Hebrew word, akarith, which means the result, or in this case, the reward. What he will get as a result of his maturity and his uprightness. And that's the same word as last and last days, which is why we call those days the resultant days. So it says the end, the result of that man is peace. And we could well translate it here, the sequel of that man is peace, as Mr. Sellers sometimes makes it. Man here is the Hebrew ish, which means a male person, or just a person. Mark the mature person, behold the upright person, for the end of that person is peace is shalom, which in Hebrew means overall soundness or goodness. His end, his reward is good, beyond death. And he does not face destruction as the wicked man does. Verse 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. So again, we turn around and consider the other alternative. We're looking at two alternatives. We are looking at wickedness and ruthlessness, or maturity and uprightness, or transgression and wickedness. We keep looking back and forth at these ways of life, ways of living, and the result. So it says, The transgressor shall be destroyed together. And so this is not referring to them being destroyed piecemeal or one at a time as they die. So they will be destroyed at the same time. And ultimately all the transgressors shall be raised together in the final resurrection at the great white throne. 
but it will only be to be destroyed together in the lake of fire. Then it says, For the, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. And again, end there is Akarith. The result, the reward for the wicked will be cut off. It comes to an abrupt end. There, there's a very different result for these. Their future is cut short. So the sequel of the wicked is cut short. In verse 39, we come to the final letter of Hebrew, or Tav. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. So it says, but the salvation of the righteous. Now, but is not the letter Tav. But some codices, along with the Syriac and the Vulgate, the Aramaic version and the Latin version, eliminate the but. Well, if the but wasn't there, then Tav would be the first letter. So the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. It's Jehovah who saves the righteous. And he is their strength in the time of trouble. And again, this may be a reference to the tribulation period. The time of trouble. So whereas the wicked are cut off, the righteous are saved by Jehovah, and he strengthens them and helps them. He's the place of safety for his people in their time of trouble. Whereas, of course, the wicked have no place of safety. They're cut off. Verse 40, And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they trust in him. So such help and deliverance doesn't always happen in this life. And even in Israel it didn't always happen. We can think of the righteous Naboth, the Jezreelite, and how through the treachery of Ahab and Jezebel he was destroyed even though he was a righteous man. So we understand that his deliverance is into the life of the kingdom. He will deliver all the righteous, deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in him. It is faith that makes them righteous. It's their trust, it's their faith in the Lord. And it's because of their faith that he delivers them. So here we have it throughout this psalm. We have two ways set forward, the way of the wicked and the end of the wicked, and the way of the righteous and the end of the righteous. So we shouldn't get discouraged when the wicked seem to have temporary victory or temporary prosperity in this life. Because when you look at it as this psalm shows it, we realize how fleeting their prosperity is and that the, the reward of the righteous and the reward of the wicked are the greatest contrast. So that's Psalm 37. And we all consider Psalm 38 in our next study.